you're listening to Radio Influence. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and I am so happy, we are so happy, that you are here once again to listen to this thing we call a holiday podcast. And I want to wish everybody out there a happy holiday, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever you uh, you believe in. And I hope you, uh, you have a wonderful uh, holiday season and a happy new year as well as we will not be on next week. We'll be taking uh, one week off for the holidays, and then we'll be back to kick off 2020 uh, with what I'm trying to line up is what might have been, might be uh, one of our biggest guests yet, if we could work it out. Uh, so a little tease there. Hopefully a little Christmas miracle. We can make that happen. But uh, enjoy your New Year's, too. Uh I'm a big uh, New Year. One thing people don't know about me is I'm a big fan, and that's like my holiday. Like, I care less on my birthday. You don't have to do anything. We don't have to go out. We could have Burger King, although I can't eat Burger King anymore, but we could have Burger King for uh, for dinner on my birthday. Not a big deal. You know, You know, Christmas is a big deal because my wife, it's a big deal to my wife, And but... Um, uh, but I'm, I've always been a New Year's kind of guy. I always like to uh, celebrate the, new, the the last year and ring in the new one. So uh, I'll be uh, I'll be having a little bit of bubbly, uh, or probably more likely uh, some vodka and diet sprite. But uh, enjoy your New Year uh, and Merry Christmas. Thank you uh, for uh, making this part of your week every week and. Uh, as we said, if you want to follow me on Twitter, at David Penzer, all one word, you can follow the show at Penzer Ringside. Uh, if you like what you hear, be sure to tell your friends, your neighbors, and fellow wrestling fans, and be sure to uh, subscribe and leave a review if you can. And that's all we ask. That's all we ask. It's easy. Uh, it takes about a minute and a half. And... Um, I want to thank uh, Ricky Medlock for the interview last week. That was a highlight for me, and uh, I got a lot of positive feedback on that. So I'm glad people enjoyed that. This week, we are going to finish out the year, finish out 2019 at City Ringside with one of the greatest storytellers, a man who would be would have been the NWA heavyweight champion uh, if not for circumstances and wrong timing, and a man who uh, who is... Uh, done so much in the wrestling business and now gone on and is trying to pay it forward for reasons we'll get into. I'm talking about the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, and uh, really excited to have Ted on. He was on about a year ago when we talked about Andre, telling Andre stories when that ESPN documentary came out, and uh, we've been trying to get him back. He's uh, Finally, we were able to get it get it done this week, and um, really excited to have him on City Ringside. I'll tell you what. He is uh, such a good storyteller, and I am not. So without further ado, let's go right now to my guest this week. Merry Christmas from City Ringside. I present to you the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we are closing out the year 2019 this week on City Rigside with WWE Hall of Famer. He made a brief appearance last year when we featured Andre the Giant stories, but we've been trying to get him back for a full-length podcast, and we were able to make it happen, and uh, we are honored to have him. He is WWE Hall of Famer, the Million Dollar Man, back in the news uh, on Monday Night Raw this past uh this past week uh, featured in a, uh, a, a sort of highlight package. Ted, thanks for coming on and um, and appreciate you uh, sitting ringside. My pleasure, my friend. My pleasure. What's up? Yeah, well, let's start at the beginning. Uh, it's funny. It's ironic. Um, we spoke to Tito Santana on this podcast two weeks ago. And then when I'm looking at your background, the one thing that I find that's clear is I'm investigating and doing uh, uh, research for all these different podcasts is that there are so many Hall of Fame wrestlers whose story starts out the same. One is West Texas State football and then continues with the funks in some fashion or form. And yours was no different uh, than Tito's and, and so many others, uh, legends and the biz that are here and that have have gone, unfortunately. Tell us about your experience in Texas playing football and then uh, training under the funks. Well, you know, it, it is amazing that uh, the number of guys that, that came out of West Texas State that went on to be wrestlers, and not just wrestlers, all but maybe one or two became full-fledged stars. Sure. Um, and it's largely due to the influence of the Funk family. And I basically, and I, and I, again, the other thing I believe is their, their psychology of the wrestling business, which was, which was pretty much mirrored. You know, I know uh, Funk Sr. and uh, my dad, uh, Eddie Graham, uh, Bob Geigel, uh, all those guys were friends. They were buddies. And, uh, uh, when Eddie Graham uh, first went down to Florida to take over and, and uh, you know, what, that, what then became, you know, Florida Championship Wrestling, uh, I think that was in like in 59, my dad went down there to help him get started because he, uh, they were friends. Um, uh, and that was in 59. That's, that's right when Mike came into my life. You know, my mom and he married in October of 59. Right, and he became my, my my dad, and I took his name uh, legally adopted, and uh, you know I've loved the business as long as I've been able to you know to remember, <laughs> and so uh, but yeah, the, the the Texas influence I think largely due to the punks, uh, but I mean just run down the list, my gosh, Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen, uh, both of the punks, um, Bobby Duncan is another guy. Um, and then me, Tito Santana, and uh, Tully Blanchard, we all played at West Texas State at the same time. And then following us was Barry Windham um, and uh, uh, Kelly Kaniski, Gene Kaniski's son. And Kelly obviously did, didn't stay in the business. And then I think Manny Fernandez was another one. Wow. And the other guy, that did, he didn't play football at West Texas State, but played baseball. Was Dusty Rhodes? Dusty Rhodes, yes, sir. Unbelievable, unbelievable amount of athletes that came out of that school uh, that, that got in the wrestling business. So, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty cool, you know. And I was just, you know, what I was just with Stan Hansen. We uh, we were both invited down to Florida. There's a group down there. They call themselves the Smart Marks, <laughs> and they're in the Fort Lauderdale area, and they are all uh, pretty pretty well to do businessmen who happen to love wrestling 
and uh, they flew uh, Stan and I down there. Now, I went down there five years ago and did this. Took us out and fed us real good. You know, like the Brazilian steakhouse, they just keep bringing the meat until you say stop. Right. And um, uh, and then you know we spent that uh, we you know, spent that night and another day uh, had a big barbecue at one of the guys' house. This guy's house happens to be on the intercoastal canal. You know, the waterway there, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, you know, that's the house I should have done the. Uh, the bit with Robin Leach in the <laughs> 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 lifestyle of Richie famous, all these guys, pretty well to do guys. And of course, everybody has a price, including the million dollar man. And, uh, they took care of us and anyway, but it was great to see Stan Hansen again, you know, Stan's another guy who, who's, uh, had a tremendous career. Only most of his career was in Japan. Yeah. And you team with him for a lot of that. Well, there was a good, good portion of the time. Uh, he and Brody, we're good friends, and they were the tag team over there. And then, and I, I don't remember why, but for some reason, Brody jumped, left all Japan, and went over to New Japan. And that was pretty rare because loyalty is really a big thing in in, uh, in Japan. But but Brody jumped, and Stan comes to me. Now I used to go over once a year. You know, I mean, regardless of what territory I was working there, I'd go over once a year. Uh, and so I, I made that annual trip and, uh, Stan gets me off to the side and he said, listen, Brody's just jumped to the other, to the other promotion. He says, I need a new tag team partner. Would you like the job? <laughs> I'm going, that's awesome. You know, that, that, that would have been like, uh, Vince McMahon saying, uh, do you want to be the world wrestling federation heavyweight champion? <laughs> sure. Sure. Top, top, uh, uh, working yeah. as a team with the top, uh, what do they call it? Gangs? Oh, yeah. How I do mean, you pronounce I mean, it? Hansen, uh, you what? How do you pronounce it? I know it's G-I-G-A-N-G-I-N, the top uh, American or foreigner. Oh, Gaijin. Gaijin. Yeah, Gaijin. Yeah, in, uh, yeah. in all Japan. Yeah. Stan, Stan and, and he were, were probably two of the most, and Terry Funk, probably three of, mo- three of the most highly recognized Gaijin or foreign wrestlers ever in Japan. And so, um, I spent my pay scale went way up. I mean, you know, and it's like, it was, it was, it was, it was great. It was a great deal. And then, you know, a deal I thought would never be topped. <laughs> well, sure. a couple of months later, I get another call from a guy named Vince McMahon and he wants to talk to me about, uh, he said, I got an idea and I think you're the right guy for it. And so I flew to New York sat down in his office and he, he told me, he said, he said, you know, there's been so many things in wrestling that have been done and redone and repackaged. And he said, but this is unique. It's new. It's never been done before. And he says, I just think that you're the guy for it. He said, but here's the catch, Ted. He says, I'm not going to tell you what it is until you agree to come on board. He says, because if I tell you, and then you don't come on board, I've given away a great idea and I'm simply not going to, let that happen. And so I pretty much had to trust him. And I, you know, I, I actually said, well, I, I need a little time to think about it. And of course I needed time to go back and then, and call my buddy, Terry Funk and say, Terry, here's what Vince McMahon said. And I remember Terry said, Teddy, he said, if Vince McMahon right now, who is, is, is really going to revolutionize the, the wrestling industry, he says there's going to come a time when all all the territories are going to be able to they're going to fold up because they won't be able to compete with him. 
He says, if he's got an idea and he thinks it's something that that's perfect for you, he says, pack your bag and don't look back. And he said, well, I thought that's what you'd say, but I just wanted to be sure. And uh, so I called Vince back and I said, I'm your man. I'm going to sign. Now, what is it? And he said, no, nope, I'm not going to tell you on the phone. He said, now I want you, I want you and your wife to both fly up here. And so he flew us up first class. I mean, uh, that should have been the first indicator. And uh, uh, sat down and, and just laid it out there. He says, you know, the one thing that everybody hates, everybody hates someone who by virtue of their wealth is aloof and thinks they're better than everybody. You know, I mean, they bully people with their wealth, you know. And uh, I started ch- chuckling. I said, yeah, I can't stand guys like that myself. And he said, that's the essence of this character, Ted. He says, it's never been done before. And he said, uh, and of course, in the vein of, of being that character, he says, I've watched you as a heel. And, uh, you know, he says, and you've always been a very good, and this is wrestling terminology, what we in the business call a chicken shit heel, right. which means uh, I'm the bully. I'm the guy who talks real big. I can go, but when I'm really actually confronted after I've run my mouth, I've become a coward. Or I always take the easy way out. And and that's the one kind of heel you never get tired of seeing him get his ass kicked. I don't care how many times he gets beat, you never get tired of seeing him get beat again. And so, uh, so my character fit the uh, fit the bill, and uh, the rest is history. What did you think when he laid that out for you? Where you where did, did you see money? Pardon the pun, but did you see money signs? Big ones. <laughs> I. Well, and it, and it just got better. It's like, in the way McMahon has always done everything, he said, now, here's what I want to do. And he said, now, and Vince is the guy who came out and basically told the whole world publicly that, yes, wrestling is sports entertainment. So what? We're good. You know, it's like, so there there went kayfabe. And, and uh, with that in mind, though, he still, he said, we want to make the public believe as much as possible that you're really this guy. And I said, how are we going to do that? He said, well, we're going to fly you everywhere. First class. <laughs> uh, you're going to, you know, and he says, when you get off the plane, there's going to be a limousine in every town to meet you, to take you to the hotel, hotel, uh, the Coliseum, back to the hotel and back to the airport. So wherever the public sees you there, they will see the appearance of wealth and affluence. And at that time, the only two other guys that got that kind of treatment were Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Of course, Andre always got that kind of treatment. I mean, number one, Andre, you know, he ain't going coach anyway because he can't get in the, he couldn't get in the coach seat. Sure. And, uh, and and actually, it wasn't limousines for Andre, although they did use limousines from time to time, but they'd always get these big conversion vans for him. But right. anyway, he got that first-class treatment. And so, and on top of that, this guy walks into the room and counts out $2,000. So uh, in an effort to make my character even more real to the public, uh, Vince had a guy, when he was telling me this stuff, he, this guy walks into the room and counts out uh, $2,000 in brand new $100 bills and hands them to me. And Vince goes, this is your flash cash. And I said, flash cash? He <laughs> says, here's what I want you to do. He said, now, if you abuse it, you lose it. But uh, he says, for example, he says, you walk in a restaurant. Now, you don't want to do this at, uh, you know, Ruth Chris Steakhouse on Friday night, you know, in a packed house. But pick your spots, get up, announce yourself, and tell everybody that you're picking up the tab. 
and have Virgil with you and have him go around and pick up, you know, add them up, total them up, slap down the $100 bills, get the receipt, bring the receipt back to me, and we'll replenish the cash. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. You know, it's like unbelievable. And that's that's why, you know – you know, uh, we all know Rick and, and Rick, and you know how Rick Flair has always been party hardy. And hey, you know, there was a time I party hardied with him. And I, I told Rick, I said, here's the difference between you and me, Rick. I said, you're out there spending all of your money and I'm spending Vince's. <laughs> <laughs> That's tremendous. Now, did you ever get to pick up like the bar tab at the hotel where the boys were? Or this was something that you had to do, uh, well, you know, for the general public? Well, well, no, this is more the general public, you know, uh, that's awesome. And I, and I, I always, I always, you know, I always honored that because it's sure if I had done something like that, somebody run back and, and you know, and stooge it off. Sure. Or, well, you know, you know, you know what DiBiase did, you know, somebody trying to get brownie points. I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing that we did do. Uh, I had a match with Roddy Viper one night. We were in uh, Sacramento, California, and uh, I have family, you know, my my father was previously married and had kids and his, his ex-wife moved back to San Francisco where she's from. And that's where her, her kids grew up with her there. And, but later in life, you know, uh, I got to know those kids. So I had, you know, I had, uh, I had a sister, a half sister who lived in, in Napa. And so, uh, we, I brought her and my wife to this show in, in Sacramento. And uh, they put her and my sister on the second row at ringside. Now, that had never been done. I mean, my family members always stayed, you know, back, you know, up high somewhere and by themselves. They put them right in the crowd. Wow. And so me and Piper were doing this bit where I would get in the ring and say, you know, I'd get the microphone and say, you know, Piper, you know, I don't really feel like sweating tonight. And I said, I, I know that you don't feel like getting your butt kicked by me. And I said, so let's both uh, win here. And he said, I'll, I'll give you 300 bucks. You go out and have a nice meal and a bottle of wine and we'll call it a day. What do you say? You know, and what, you know, Piper, he, he'd do, he'd, he'd look, do that look and he'd, he'd look around at the crowd, you know, and I turned, I turned away from him like, yeah, everybody's got a price, including him. And I turned back and he, he punches me. The money flies up in the air. He picks up all the money and he would roll out and he would run around ringside and give everybody in the crowd some of the money. Well, you know, <laughs> when we would do when we would do this bit, you know, uh, they wouldn't all be hundred dollar bills. You sure. know, they'd, they'd, they'd be they'd split it up. So you know, anyway, anyway. So this night, I told Piper, I said, I said, Roddy, I said, my wife and my sister are on the second road on that side give them the money <laughs> and we'll all go out and have a good time tonight. And, she, and he, and he did, and we did the whole spot and he did it. And he went out and he put, I saw him put the money in Melanie's hand. And, and of course, by that time I'm, I'm rolling and bouncing around the ring. So I get back in the back of my wife. When she looked, she looked at me and she said, don't you ever do that again? I said, what happened? She said, as soon as he let go, it, it, all those people around us were like piranha. Oh my god! Like you know, just 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 grabbing and just trying to grab the money and everything. And I mean, it, it, she says, I mean, they're they're all on top of me. She goes, I just let it go. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> so the people still got the money. <laughs> 
and uh, and we didn't you know, we didn't get, we didn't get to uh, go out and have that good time. Not but on not on Vince not on Vince you didn't. Uh, not on Vince's dime anyway. That's right. Hey, I remember uh, that's marketing. Yeah. You know, you talk you know you talk about social media these days. Just think about that. I mean, that word spread like wildfire. Sure. You know, people going around saying, you know, that guy on TV, you know, he really does throw around that money like that. So, you know, people got to expect it. Hey, real quick, as an aside, I was going to ask you, did Virgil get to fly in first class with you or did he get stuck in coach? No, he was in coach. He was, the, you know, he was the servant, right? You know, that was the deal. You know, of course, you know, uh, you know, obviously today politically incorrect, and that would get buried. You know, sure. So uh, you know, uh, but uh, hey, you know, but Virgil, Virgil got paid very, very well for what he. I mean, he didn't really have a hard job. I mean, he basically his job was to look big and bad, and he did. You know, and and he was, you know, he was. Uh, of course, you know, we did that. We also went down that road. Eventually, he got tired of, of my abuse and turned on me. And, you know, if, if Virgil had had more wrestling talent, we could have done a lot. You know, sure. but he just unfortunately did, did, didn't have it. But not a bad guy. Yeah, he was right out of Memphis, I think. Like six months in Memphis. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. but it's, it's ironic. And I always, I always, when I see him, I always tease him about it that both of his names that he's more known for, and obviously he's most known for Virgil, but the other one in WCW with Vincent, both of them were ribs on, uh, on other well, promoters. Well, yeah. You know, Virgil being well, dusty. Funny, and, you're right. I mean, with the, the day I signed the contract with Vince, we went to lunch and, uh, Bobby Heenan was there, and Bob, Bob, it was actually Bobby Heenan's idea. He says, "Hey, what are we going to name this this ballet, the, the the chauffeur guy?" And I said, "I don't know." And he says, "Hey, I tell you what, let's name him Virgil. Dusty will get a big kick out of that." <laughs> <laughs> so and so then and so then when I went to uh, when I went over to WCW during the you know the war. And, uh, you know, I said, you know, it's like we were kind of like the, we were like a coup kind of trying to push our way in and take over. Well, uh, if you're, if you're, if you're the bad guys and you're, and you're trying to create, you need, you need protection, right? And I said, well, what better protection could I, could I get than the guy who was always with me? Said, well, we can't call him Virgil. Somebody said, let's call him Vincent. Love it. <laughs> I popped. Oh, so I still pop about yeah, that. Yeah. The guys made the guy made his entire living as a rib on two guys. The guys uh, influential in the business. I I, I find that uh, some I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I find that uh, enjoyable. Hey, recently, um, and you weren't aware of this, but I was telling you before we we hit play, uh, tape. But re- this past Monday night on Raw, the Progressive had had uh, each week as an ad uh, has a look back at uh, career. Of uh, one of the top wrestlers, and this week they did you, and uh, they played uh, some of your vignettes and, and some of your interviews. Um, just wondering, with those vignettes, how much fun did you get to have? Uh, how much fun really were were filming those vignettes? And, and especially, uh, I remember the one of the ones that everybody's talking about now is the one with the little kid who's had to bounce a basketball fifteen times, and he got I think a hundred bucks oh, or five hundred yeah. bucks. And yet, and when he hit fourteen, you kicked it out of his head. The guy looked like the kid looked like he was going to cry. I mean, obviously, well, he, he, no, he, he did cry. Here's, <laughs> you know, here, here's the, of all the things that I did, that's the one that I get asked about the, the most. And 
I'm sure that, and I, I know for a fact that the company probably got asked a lot too, because when one of my action figures came out in, in the action, in the, in the, the package with the action figure was like a little million dollar belt, a gold briefcase and a basketball. And a basketball. <laughs> and a basketball. Yeah. So, uh, we did all those, uh, all those, all the ones that we did on television, uh, were rehearsed. The, the people were handpicked and I mean, and, and just so everybody knows they all got the money. Right. But Vince, you know, when he first started this thing, like the first time I walked out there, you know, and I was throwing money at people and they were scrambling to pick up, you know, you know, fives and tens and stuff. You know, I said, it's pretty hard, I guess, to make people hate you when you're throwing money at them. <laughs> and so you were able to make it work. So we got to make a, we got to change this thing up where you offer them the money and then find a way to screw them out of it. Sure. And and so uh, that's what we did. And with the kid in the basketball, we were in Milwaukee, and somebody said, "Well, what are we what are we going to do tonight?" And I said, "Well, what's Milwaukee famous for?" And somebody said, "Beer and basketball." And I said, "Well, we can't do anything with beer. Let's do something with a basketball." Well, actually, it was Gorilla Monsoon's idea, and. Uh, so we got the kid and we rehearsed the whole thing. And, you know, so, you know, I told him to like, he bounces the ball 10 times. And I said, if you can do that again, 15 times without missing 500 bucks, pal. So he gets to 14. I kicked the ball, you know, and, you know, of course I, I had to be hardcore. I, I wasn't hardcore during the rehearsal, sure. but I was hardcore doing, doing, during the sheet, the actual sheet, because it had to be. And it scared him. And I mean, when I, when I say you don't get the job done, you don't get the money. I mean, <laughs> crocodile tears just ran to his mother. He couldn't have done any better. When I got the back, all oh, everybody was everybody was going yes, yes. They were high five and they were going, oh my gosh, that was great. And I remember saying, I said, I'm glad you're all happy now. Find an armored vehicle to get me out of the building. <laughs> Yeah, they that, want to kill me. That was seat. Yeah, that was seat. And and it's funny, you know. Now you mentioned that Vince uh, smartened up the fans, and and there's no more kayfabe now. But uh, when that video played on on Twitter, especially people were just uh, people that hadn't seen it were raving about it, and people that had were remembering it, you know, from their youth or from yeah. their, you know, were just uh, they they were reminiscing about it, and it really uh, it actually started to trend. Uh, I don't even really wow. know what that means. But uh, but Ted DB a million dollar man. A started. lot of people, yeah. a lot of yeah. people are, are looking at it. Yeah. Wow. So uh, so, so I, I, I just want to know if well, you know if everybody's got a price. I said you know uh, so if that thing aired and it was uh, who was it for? What what company? Uh, Progressive Insurance, I believe. Progressive Insurance. I want. Where's my cut? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I hear I hear that laugh. Who who's the one who came? Did you come up with uh, including that as as part of the character? Because it's so it's so you know, well known. You know, you know, brother. Here's here's the deal. That it, it it's an exaggeration the way I really laugh. And I've got a very deep voice. Uh, my biological father was actually a professional singer, and uh, and I can't I can't sing at all, but I have the deep voice, and so. I cut it, you know, back when we would cut our, we do the TV shows every three weeks and, you know, uh, you know, uh, mean Gene, God bless him. You know, he was always the guy. And so I'm doing my interviews with Gene and I happened to end one of the interviews laughing like that. And Vince just 
happened to be walking by. Wow. And he stuck his head in the door and he said, that's it. He said, that's the million dollar man. He says, and I want to hear that laugh at the end of every interview. And so I tell everybody, I said, 19 year career in wrestling, uh, you know, with all the things and all the accomplishments. And what am I remembered for? The laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited again to talk about the Dollar Shave Club. I can't stress enough the quality of their products. They spent years developing, crafting, refining everything, and they have everything I use to look, feel, and smell my best. You name it, they have it, and I use it. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago when I first got my Dollar Shave kit with my executive razor, the shave butter, and the prep scrub uh, that I had about an eight-day growth, and that normally that kills me, and it was the best shave on an eight-day growth I had ever had, and I've continued over the last couple of weeks to use the executive razor and the shave butter, and I've enjoyed it so much as a shaving experience that uh, I actually ordered a couple for uh, starter sets for my adult kids for Christmas, so uh, excited to let them uh, experience the Greatness that is Dollar Shave Club, and I do not say that lightly. It is a great product, and I recommend it tremendously. And as amazing as their shave stuff is, Dollar Shave Club is way more than just razors. They got you covered head to toe. They have everything you need to shower, shave, style your hair, brush your teeth, even wipe your butt. Yes, they have something to wipe your butt and got you covered on that as well. And Dollar Shave Club could keep you automatically stocked up on the products you use. You get what you want whenever you need it, whether that's once a month or a few times a year. With my growth, I need it way more than a few times a year. I look forward to it coming every month on the month. One of the coolest things about Dollar Shave Club is I never have to waste time at a store wondering if what I'm getting and paying a ton of money for is any good. As a Dollar Shave Club member, I know what I'm getting is the highest quality, and I know it's the best price for sure. And right now, you can put the quality of Dollar Shave Club's products to the test. Their Ultimate Shave Starter Set has basically everything you need for an amazing shave. The Executive Razor, Shave Butter, Prep Scrub, and the Post Shave Do. The best part is you could try it for just $5. That's $5 to get the entire Ultimate Shave Starter Set. I highly recommend it. After that, the restock box ships regular size products at regular prices. Get your ultimate starter set for just $5 at dollarshaveclub.com slash ringside. dollarshaveclub.com slash ringside. $5 for the ultimate starter set. I guarantee you it is well worth the money, ladies and gentlemen. And I am a huge fan and highly recommend Dollar Shave Club. So get it for $5. That's dollarshaveclub.com. Slash ringside. Let's go back a little bit. Um, uh, you broke in uh, in the mid '80s uh, in Mid South Wrestling, and uh, there's a lot of promoters and wrestling personalities that uh, that that are controversial that people like to talk about. Either you know did great things and or did, or did horrible things, and and there's never been a consensus on Bill Watts in the Mid South territories. You know, some people love him. Some people hated his style as far as, uh, you know, I know he fined guys a lot and he was, he didn't, you know, keep his feelings to himself if he was upset with you. Um, talk, talk to me about the Mid South. I know that there was a lot of travel in that territory, uh, every night, but tell me about the territory and your thoughts on Bill Watts. Well, I tell you what, uh, my thoughts on Bill Watts are all good. 
I mean, number one, I actually started in the summer of 75. I was, you know, I actually, I, you know, the summer between my junior and senior year of college, I was on, I was on a football scholarship. Like, like I said, you know, all those guys who went to West Texas state, but that summer, you know, the NCAA had changed the ruling where you can compete in, in a uh, sport as an amateur. Uh, I mean, as a professional, but if, if you compete in another, in other words, I could, I could, I could wrestle and get paid for it, but then I couldn't be a, amateur wrestler anymore, right. but I could go do something else. So I could play football as a college athlete and get paid as a wrestler. And that's okay. And so once that happened, then the summer between uh, my junior and senior year, actually it was Dick Murdoch who suggested, he says, I'm going down to uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, mid South, it's a big territory. Actually it was all of Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, big, big, big territory. Yeah. And uh, he said, Bill Watts, uh, Bill Watts is booking it, and uh, he's partners with Leroy McGurk now. And I said, I think I can get you booked. And I said, we'll see what you can do. So I went down there. I was went down there initially just to spend the summer, make some good money, and get my feet wet, right? Right. Well, by the end of the summer, things were going so well. And, I mean, I, I, to this day, I regret it. I had one year left, and I didn't go back. Uh, you know, I just kept wrestling. Um, now mid South was a tough territory in terms of miles. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. The trips were, were horrendous, but I was, I was in love with the wrestling business. I was young. And the other thing about Watts is what brought Watts brought so much good talent through there that I got exposed to. I mean, uh, oh my gosh, killer Carl Cox, Dick Murdoch, uh, uh, um, oh my gosh, the, you know, the, the funks, uh, oh my gosh, who else? Um, Buck Robley, uh, was another guy, but Buck, Buck, Buck ended up being a pretty good booker as well. Um, just a, a plethora of guys that I got to, to wrestle with. And the thing about Bill was Bill, Bill's an extremely intelligent person. I mean, and this guy, he graduated from Oklahoma, played football there, got in the wrestling business. Bill has like a photographic memory. I mean, he, and one of the things he did was, especially with his main, main matches, his, his finishes were long. I mean, you would have to, you would have to go over that finish. And I mean, I tell you what, you could screw up the match. And if you got the finish, right, (laughs) you made the match. And, uh, so, you know, and there was a lot of guys. Yeah, but yeah, Vince and back in those days, I mean, I guess you, some people thought he was kind of a bully, but, uh, look, the guy was, a, he was a shrewd businessman. And, uh, I give Bill probably more credit for my education in the wrestling business than anybody. Um, you know, he tried, you know, he, he talked to me about being a booker and I said, Bill, I'm not, I'm not a booker. I'm not the idea guy. I said, you tell me what you want. My my gift is to go out in the ring and make it happen. And so, uh, but I, I that's where I learned. And I learned, and I, you know, the old school way of, of doing this is, you know, you, you wrestle every night. You wrestle every night in front of a different crowd every night. And every crowd you wrestle in front of is not going to respond the same way. So if you try to have the, you know, repeat the same match with a guy the next night and do all the same stuff, they might respond the same way. 
but a lot of them won't because it's like almost every crowd has its own DNA. And so if they're not responding the way you expect them to, you have to have the ability to shift gears and change it and do something else. And again, I learned to work. Yeah, and that's the real art of wrestling is improv. We've talked about that a lot, and especially in the last two or three months on this podcast with the guests that we've had. And look, hey, I have all the respect in the world for the guys who could do all the the high flying, crazy uh, uh, things, and then go through tables and and off ladders and stuff. And I, I wouldn't do that in a million years. But but I think the difference is is that you know they we all know they they they. Uh, talk it all out and put him much planted in the ring. And if for some reason the crowd's not with it, I don't know that all of them or even many of them have the skill set to, like you said, to work, to be able to roll with the punches of the yeah. crowd. And, and so it's sort of right. a lost start and, you know, nothing against them, you know, they're doing, they're, they're, they're doing a lot of high flying, really incredible things, but it's just uh, the working part. I think being able to play off a crowd uh, from yeah. one town to the next is, is a lost art. Any idea? Because I was in, when I first started in WCW and nothing had worked, um, you know, we're drawing 600 people uh, with Ric Flair in the main event, defending the world title in Anderson, South Carolina. And it, it, it just, it was getting really bad. And then, they brought Bill Watson and because Bill had been so successful and, and such was known as such a, a smart booker in uh, his territory, uh, it was like the, the savior had, was coming. And then all of a sudden the savior turned out to be not much of a savior. Do you, any, I, I know you weren't there, uh, but any idea uh, why you don't think that he was able to duplicate uh, uh, what happened in Mid-South in WCW? Well, you know, again, I wasn't wasn't there, so I really, I really don't know. I mean, a lot of times things are done and redone, you know. And you know, it could be that he was trying to do things uh, uh, that the people had seen before. I don't, you know, I, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, but I tell you that one of the unique things that Bill Watts did that really made him successful, he was the first promoter to feature as his star, one of his top stars, a black guy. Right, Junkyard Dog. Junkyard Dog was the first black guy to be like a featured, you know, like the, the top baby face. And I mean, that, and especially in Louisiana and Mississippi, you know, uh, even in Oklahoma and Arkansas. I mean, uh, JYB got to be, and I think that was, that was brilliant on on on, on Bill's part because it had never been done before, <clears throat> and uh, and I think that's you know that's that's part of it is you know giving the giving the people something new, giving them a different look, uh, and you can go away. It's kind of like wrestlers used to travel around the way that they did because you know after you're after you're in, a, in an area long a long enough time that you, that people are used to you, you're, you're you know it's kind of like what's the old deal. Well, if you if you go away for a while. And that's what they would do. Guys would get a, you know, they'd go, they'd go to another territory for a year or maybe two and go, you know, they'd go a couple other places and then they come back through that area and you're new and fresh again. Uh, and I think that's part of it. And it might be part of what's wrong with wrestling today. It's kind of like, you know, it's hard for me to explain, but like, uh, I know I, I love my, you know, I like to be entertained too. I love to go to movies and, but anymore it's getting to where all these movies, it's incredible what they can do with movies now with the special effects and all of the 
all of the things. It's like, uh, have you seen the new Lion King? I don't really go. I, mean, see, I don't really go see a lot of movies, well, but uh, but I'm with well, you. Well, I mean, the, the, the new Lion King. You know, it's like that. I have grandkids down there. Like, okay, we're going to see the Lion King. Well, it's it's not. It doesn't look animated. You know what I'm saying? The the the, the, the characters in the movie don't look. It doesn't look, doesn't look like a cartoon, but in reality, it, it is. It's it's like how did they make these? It's just incredible what they do. Anyway, all of that to say this: there's a lot of Flash. There's a lot of great things in, in like an action movies today. There's a, you know, like uh, I've seen, you know, the rock and, and several of them, you know, it's one skyscraper movie and, and all kinds of stuff. Uh, a lot of good action, but you know, what's missing sometimes is the story. Right. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of that movie, uh, uh, with, uh, uh, Tom Cruise, and uh, it was a, a trial movie. It was a movie. It was like uh, uh, a few good was men. On trial. A few good men. That's it. Yeah, you, know, you can't handle the truth. The line. You can't handle the truth. Everybody remembers that line. Now, there wasn't a lot of special effects. No, there no. wasn't a lot of over the top. You know, you know, it was the whole movie was a courtroom drama. Sure. It was great. One of the best of all but time. You remembered it. You remembered it because somebody told you a good story. That's what's missing in wrestling today. Dang it. Tell me a good story. Tell me a good story and don't let the story end in two weeks yeah. or well, a month. You're, yeah. Let's end that story. I mean, you know, the programs, I mean, you used to, I mean, you know, uh, you know, guys, the, the top baby face and top heel in the territory. I mean, they would they would go around and they would they would have one battle after another. And this thing would sometimes it went on for three or four months. But yeah. now it's like you know, bang, bang, boom, and you're out of there. And uh, you know, and I, you know, and again, uh, like you, I have all the respect for Vince McMahon. I mean, I, I am I am more grateful than anybody I believe. To, I mean, I have so much to be grateful for. Look what he did for me. My gosh, he gave me an unbelievable gimmick. And, and, uh, and, and I also would say that, you know, wrestling, the way it was presented then, at least in the local territorial days, if it had continued just like that, it probably would have died by now. Because so many things have come along and there's so much competing for the entertainment dollar that wrestling as it was presented then probably wouldn't have survived. No. Had it not been for what Vince did, you know, and, and, and what he did was basically, I mean, it was, it was a stroke of genius. I didn't see it at the time, but I mean, wrestling was always kind of a, the blue collar crowd form of entertainment. You were going to see a lot of, uh, uh, you know, polo shirts and khaki pants at, at the, at the wrestling matches, kind of a rough crowd. He made it family friendly. He dressed up the characters animated them somewhat, gave them music entrances, and even and even made a, even created a cartoon and basically said, We're sports entertainment. So what? Yeah, he did a music video. Was, uh yeah. Oh yeah. All, okay. yeah. All of that stuff. And it, it geared us to a lot. I mean it's kinda like uh one of the greatest attractions in this country today, yesterday, ten years ago, and probably ten years from now, Disney World. Yes, sir. And, and, and people come from all over the world to Disney World. Why? Because it's for the family. Because the whole family gets something out of Disney World. That's that's what's missing in wrestling today. You know, I, you know, I went back for a while 
you know, five and oh six. And, you know, Stephanie, I remember told me, Ted, watch the show for a while. And tell me what you think. And again, I am not knocking anybody. I mean, I, this is just one guy's perspective. Again, with all due respect, because I'm not there all the time. I'm, I'm not, I don't know what's going on. And I don't know why that they make some of the decisions they make. But what I saw at the time was everybody looked the same. They, everybody was like, David, everybody was like, it was kind of like, I, I said, everybody's bald-headed tattoos and trying to be Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yep. I said, nobody, you know, like, uh, I, I said, nobody wears a rain jacket anymore. I mean, we had, we had one guy, me, who came out in a full suit with dollar signs on it. Then you had Hillbilly Jim. <laughs> you had another guy with a snake. I mean, you had all of these unbelievable, colorful characters. And, uh, and so it's kind of like going to the circus. It was a little something for everybody. Yeah, you know, J- but, uh, J- Jimmy Hart to this day, whenever he goes out and does an appearance or anything, or even at his uh, little bar in Daytona, he always dresses like Jimmy Hart. He always has the jacket. He always uh, he always yeah. looks the same. Yeah. And he he said to me because we're we, we become good friends over the years. He said to me, "You got." You got to look like what people remember you. If you come out in, if you if you come out yeah. in jeans and a and a t shirt, well, they're not expecting that. They're expecting the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, and same for like you said for Hillbilly Jim with yeah. with yeah. The overalls and and you with the the, the outfit. Um, hey, uh, you, we were talking about WCW. Um, a, a lot of people don't remember that uh, in the whole who was the third man in WCW and who was the sixth guy, which was uh, they called him six, one, two, three, kid. Uh, you were the fourth man in uh, in the NWO. Uh, I, did, I knew you were in the NWO towards the beginning, but I didn't even remember. And I was there that that you were the fourth guy after the original three. Uh, tell me about that, how that how that came to be and, and how it didn't seem to well, work the way it was supposed to work, I don't think. Well, you know, I, I had, you know, I had stopped wrestling physically at right. the end of 93. And I went back to work for Vince as a commentator and a manager, you know, and I, you know, I had like, uh, what, they, what do we call it? The, uh, uh, I can't even remember what we called it. <laughs> I'm having a uh, brain fart. The, uh, the million dollar something? The, the million dollar corporation. Yeah. So I had my stable of guys, you know, I had, uh, uh, you know, I had uh, uh, the the big guy that uh, who the, I always said that he wanted to uh, the one that got in a fight with Arn. Oh, Sid, um, yeah, Sid. Oh, God bless you, Sid. You know, Sid. You know, Sid. Sid was one of the guys in the stable, and uh, um, you know, who uh, there was a bunch of Bundy for a while. Anyway, the ringmaster. Yeah, the ringmaster, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had the I had the fake Undertaker, <laughs> uh, so uh, we had all of that stuff. And and but I, when the whole NWO thing started, you know, uh, what what happened is this: I, when I went back to work for him, I went back to work as a manager commentator. The manager then, I, I wasn't required to be on the road. I just had to be a television, and so I would do my TV shows every three weeks. And then I would go to the studio in, in the Stanford uh, for one day or maybe two days a, a, a week. And that was it. And I'd go home. And home was where I needed to be because, you know, anybody that knows my story, you know, I know back in 92 when all the poop hit the fan and I had 
that confessed in my life all these horrible things I was doing. Uh, and that's that's the life change that happened in me, and and where uh, ultimately I ended up being, a, and still am a minister. Uh, uh, Vince came to me and asked me, or told me, he says, "I need you to go on." You know, he said, "I need you to go on the road." He wanted me to go on the road with Sid, and uh, he wanted me to go on the road. I don't know who else, probably with 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 Steve Austin. This was when Steve was just starting, and before he really got big. Um, and you know, the, the road was like danger for me. Right. It was kind of like, if you're going to quit drinking, get out of the bar. Exactly. Cause if you sit, if you sit in the bar long enough, you're going to drink again. For me, being on the road was danger because if I'm on the road long enough, all those same temptations are going to come back and I'm going to be doing the same thing again. And I, 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 I wanted to, I wanted to avoid that. But I never told Vince that because I didn't think he'd understand. We've since then we've had the conversation. He said, "Man, you should have come and talked to me," and we've mended the fence. But the reason I ended up going to WCW is because I could do for WCW the same thing I had been doing for Vince: show up for the TV once a week, and that was it. I didn't have to. I was a manager. I didn't have to go on the road, and uh, and so uh, that's how I ended up being the fourth guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, you know, again, you know, Eric Bischoff and I, we get along fine now. <laughs> I have no issues with him anymore. Uh, but Eric hired me to be that guy, you know, the mouthpiece for them, right? you know, but uh, I think he, I think he expected me to, uh, be the guy with all the, you know, like to develop my own material. <laughs> and that's, that's like I told Vince, I'm not the booker. You tell me the story. I make the story happen. You give me the basics. I can I can do the stuff. So anyway, uh, and I think uh, with with that with WCW, you know, when everybody saw how hot it was getting, how how the competition between the two companies became the hottest angle in the wrestling, and you know, both shows were being watched, you know, uh, strongly on a weekly basis. And so I think Eric saw his his opportunity to interject himself in the spot that he hired me for. You know, and I finally told him, I said, Eric, I said, look, you hired me. And I said, and I have enough kind you got to pay me whether I sit at home or, or, or what. But I, here's what I'm telling you. You know, I said, I didn't sign on with you to be Hulk, Hogan, Hulk Hogan's belt bearer. And it got to where I was going out every week, standing in the corner with the, uh, with the champion his belt on my on my shoulder with nothing to say right because bischoff was talking i said i'm not virgil and i said so if you don't have anything for me i'll go home and when you find something you want to do with me bring me back and that's what we did and and then uh, of course by that time i was starting to go out and speak on a lot of uh, uh, uh christian television so the fans were starting to hear the real story, and this, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, with the old kayfabe thing. It's like, even, even like when you and I walk into a movie, you know, it's not real, right? But if the actors are really good, they draw you into the story, and what do we call that? Suspended disbelief. Yep. And and it's the same with wrestlers now. Even if the fans know, you know, if they see you out of character. Or like on the on say the day of the big batch, 
you know, you, you know, if I was wrestling Hulk Hogan and we got out of the same car, walk in the building, that would just kill it. It's like slapping them across the face. Exactly. Face. And so that, that was, that was part of that. So I told, I told Eric, I said, you might consider bringing me back as a baby face or make me a baby face. Cause a lot of these people are starting to see me, you know, not be this arrogant character, but, but be myself. And, you know, it might kill the, kill that. So that's when I, uh, he decided to turn me baby face by putting me with, with the Snyders. And, uh, that I was always a better heel. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I'm, we're going to wrap this up. I'm so uh, I'm so appreciative of the, your time. Uh, but uh, bef- I want to talk to you about uh, your work as a minister and what you're doing now. But before we do that, we've we've talked about Virgil and referenced him a couple of times. He's sort of. Uh, He's sort of, and it's 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 not anybody's fault. He's sort of done it to himself, made himself into kind of like a caricature uh, by setting up in in uh, you know uh, uh, the subway station in New York and stuff. And a lot of times he puts uh, Virgil with the million dollar man Ted DiBiase. Uh, what are your feelings on that? Is there any uh, heat there that he that he's still you know putting that banner out, or did you just? Cool that he's just trying to find you know, a way to make a living. You know what? Uh, you know he's just Virgil's and Mike's his real name. He's, right. he's just he's just a guy who needs to make a living. And uh, uh, you know when we were together, I mean the guy was always in great shape. He didn't drink, he didn't smoke, he didn't do drugs. Uh, but I understand. I, I found out from the other guys that I guess his vice was gambling. Gambling, yeah. You know, and, uh, and like, you know, I guess he lost him a lot of money, and, you know, and I always ask, well, I, I know he lived in Pittsburgh area and, and I said, well, you know, and I guess, you know, he said he lived at home with his mother and apparently I think eventually his mother died and he, then maybe now he lives by himself. I'm, I'm not sure, but you know, he started doing things like, you know, like, uh, with the comic cons and stuff. You know, I didn't do the comic cons for the longest time. I, I was doing so much ministry, and then somebody suggested it to me once. I said, well, okay, I'll go try that. You know, so that, that's a pretty good little gig. Yeah. So, but I'd go to a couple of these, and the guys running the shows would say, they'd say like, well, Ted, we're sure sorry that we missed you last time. I go, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, you know, you, you were supposed to appear with Virgil, but he told us that something came up and you couldn't make it, and, but he did. And so I started going, oh. <laughs> you know, so Virgil was telling, he was, he was, he was telling guys, you know, he was trying to, he was acting like he was booking both of booking us. Booking you guys as a duo. And, yeah. And, 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 uh, knowing he was going to let him know I wasn't going to be there, but he, that he would still be there, which kind of makes me look like a sure. you know piece of crap. Sure. And so he and I had a, we had a little discussion about that, but I think all of it centers around a guy just trying to make a living. And uh, there's been a couple of promoters uh, recently who said, do you have any problem with us bringing Virgil in to sign with you? I said, no, not at all. You know, I said, it's just that I, I cannot, I can't do any, I can't do that. Like I can't make that a regular thing because he's done so many things to make himself look bad right. that I, it makes, you know, I'm, I'm guilty by association. 
And well, so it's it's hard, you know. It's hard, I don't know. It's just hard, David. It's just really hard. I mean, because I really feel for the guy. No, he's a nice, guy he's a nice not, guy. He's a nice guy. Uh, yeah, and and yeah. you're right. No, didn't doesn't drink, doesn't uh, do drugs. But uh, you know, he's a big gambler, and 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 uh, I have family who's been involved in that before, and I know how it could affect a, per- a person's life, and it's it's unfortunate. Um, you know, just as an example. Uh, that uh, we had a show for the Legends of Wrestling a couple of years ago at um, at the new uh, uh, New York Mets Stadium. Uh, Jerry, what's the name of that stadium? Jerry doesn't know. Uh, the, the New York Mets Stadium in uh, in in uh, uh, New York City, and uh, Goldberg was on it, and it was a big deal. And uh, there was a little pre autograph thing that people had to sign. Uh, people, you know, had paid like hundred and fifty dollars yeah. to be able to get autographs for all the stars so Virgil showed up and 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 kind of was gave knobs the uh the you know uh you know poor you know the made him feel guilty so knobs said all right just sign up but don't sell anything you can take pictures you can do all that don't charge these people anything or else I'm gonna lose a client and we went over there and sure enough $25 for a picture with the million dollar belt you know and Nobs had to ask him to leave, and it's like uh, you yeah. know, it's almost like yeah. he doesn't. He doesn't. It's almost like he doesn't know when to stop. You know, he goes just that little yeah. bit too far that gets him that gets him in trouble. But it's unfortunate. He is a good guy. Yeah. So let's talk about um, your work as a minister. I know you've been real busy doing that. Uh, tell me about uh, what what you. We know why you 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 found uh, God and 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 uh, you know the, the, your struggles on the road. But tell us about what you're doing now, all these years later, and and helping other people. From what I understand, kids and 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 people who have been in jail and other other stuff like that. Well, you know, a lot of us been going around, you know, and share, just sharing the story, sharing the my journey, and. Uh, you know, coming from a place of having, you know, you know, obviously, you know, there's a lot of people that have a lot more than me, but you know, I've done pretty well. You know, I said, you know, I've, I've been at the top of the game. You know, uh, you know, there's a couple of books out, the top 50 wrestlers of all time, and I'm in the book. Sure. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm grateful for all of that. But there was a time when all of that controlled my life, and it doesn't anymore. You know, it's kind of like uh, uh, when you die. Somebody else is going to live in your house, drive your car, and spend your money. <laughs> oh, jeez! I mean, yeah, you can't take it with you. And, and so, what's it really worth? You know, what's more important, being a living legend or leaving a legacy? And that's what I challenge men with. I speak to a lot of men, you know, and uh, um, you know, I mean, there are people who have said that, you know, Ted, you're like you're a living legend in wrestling. And I said, well, I, I appreciate that honor. I said, but in reality, I said, I would rather be remembered as a man who left a legacy that was worth, you know, left something. You know, what would I, when I look at my children and my grandchildren, I don't want them to remember me as that wrestler. I would re- re- rather my grandchildren and children remember me as, as being a, you know, um, a good husband and a father, a man who put the needs of his family and other people ahead of his own. And, you know, and lived my life in such a way that, that, that shown, you know, that, sh- that shines through. I mean, I tell guys all the time as a, as a, as a man of God, as a follower of Christ, I said, uh, we're to preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. And I mean, our life, you know, and that was one of the things that, that made me feel pretty good too, because there's a couple of guys, uh, 
you know, George Steele was one of them who, you know, George was in, he was in uh, the UK, you know, right after WrestleMania eight, when we went over there, this was in, this was in March of 92. And that's when they're all the poop had hit the fan. And my wife had found all this stuff out. And I, I go to England and, and, and then I get a call and I, I went to Georgia. I said, George, I'm going home. I said, you know, tell Vince, I'm sorry. I said, you know, if he was to fire me, he could fire me. I said, but I, I've got to, I got to go home and make this right. You know, he was there. He's the guy I told. Right. And, uh, and then he came, he came one time and to listen to me speak in Lakeland, Florida. And he told me later, he said, at first, he says, I was like, ah, I don't know. You know, he just, he, he thought, you know, it was, uh, he wasn't sure I was up and up, but he said, the more you talked, and he said, when you were willing to be so transparent about what you had done, I, it's when I began to realize that you, you, that you meant it. And he said, I never told you this before. He says, but that day had an impact on my life. And, and, and he says, and, and as a consequence, as, as a result, you know, I've, I've become a Christian. Wow. So, uh, yeah. And so there's a couple stories like that, that, you know, uh, and there was a lot of guys and I understood, you know, there were, there were a lot of guys that went, you know, you know, he, you know, he almost lost his marriage. He's just trying, you know, Ted will be back. The old Ted will be back. I said, I'm glad those guys didn't wait for me to, I didn't wait by holding their breath, you know, yeah, exactly. the old Ted, the old Ted's dead and gone. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, and yeah, so I, that's the way I live my life. I still travel and speak in churches, but I also go to prisons and rehab centers. And, uh, you know, I live in Mississippi now for 35 years. Uh, and, uh, you know, I try to, I, I try to help, uh, it's kind of like, you know, when the government gives you money, it's a handout, but when the church gives you aid, it's not just a handout, it's a hand up. It's like, I don't, I don't want to just give you a meal. I want to help you get on your feet to where you can work and earn a wage and feed yourself. And then, you know, that's the difference. And, uh, so it's a hand up, not a handout. And so we're trying to help a lot of people. There's, there's a lot of, uh, single moms and Edward, uh, unwed mothers that are doing a bang up job, but they shouldn't have to, they shouldn't have to do that. And, uh, and again, that's why I spent, I spent a lot of time talking to men because, you know, there's a lot of men that need to get it, you know, uh, who were, who were where I was, right. you know, they thought, you know, that all, all that ego stuff, you know, um, a real man is all about, you know, it's not about the size of your biceps and, uh, the size of your bank account. It's about the size of your, your integrity and the strength of your character. That's the way I put it. So. And, and I, I teach that and I try to live it. And, uh, uh, you know, as far from being the million dollar mass man, I mean, it's, I think God's got a sense of humor. It's like God said, okay, I'm going to let Ted be this guy, the million dollar man. And then I'm going to change his life. And, and through that, let all those people who saw him as that, that character see somebody totally different. So. I hope that's what they see anyway. Yeah, that's great. I know you do great stuff. Hey, last question before we let you go. Um, I, I know that you were talked about as uh, back in the 80s as a potential NWA World Heavyweight Champion when that was the belt. Uh, do you think that if the territories would have stayed and you would have maybe stayed uh, and not gone done, and done the Million Dollar Man, do you think that you would have been in line to be a World Heavyweight Champion? And do you have any regrets at all when you look back? Uh, well, no, no, no regrets. I mean, I think, uh, I think I probably, 
you know, when I would like to think that I probably would have, but I know at one time for certain that was, there were three names in the hat, Dusty, Ric Flair, Ted DiBiase. And again, this is the NWA and the guys that ran the NWA were Bob Geigel, you know, and, and Pat O'Connor, um, you know, uh, Eddie Graham, who was a, who else? Eddie Graham. And, you know, and, and so, and the funks were heavily part of that as well. And, so there were certainly boats there for me, you know, but, uh, I just heard the story once that, that, uh, that to that Crockett said, you know, please put the belt on Rick first. He says, the only way I'll get my money back. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that story uh, with all due respect to Rick and yeah, the Crockett. Oh, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I do too. And then, uh, then they gave it to Dusty and I remember Dusty and I actually had a match in Atlanta at the Omni. And Dusty said to me, he said, he said, uh, he said, Teddy, he said, there's a lot of people who don't think that I can carry this belt and didn't think I deserved to get it. Let's go out there tonight and show them different. And man, we tore the house down. I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. And, uh, yeah, I think they, they were probably, I think, I think they were probably looking to you as like a Jack Briscoe type world heavyweight champion, somebody who could go to yeah. from territory to territory and be a heel when you had to be and be a baby face when you had to be. Um, it's, yeah. fu- it's funny. I was talking to my 24 year old son last night, who's a big wrestling fan. And he, 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 he was asking me about the end because you know, the NWA is back a little bit. They're on uh they just did a pay-per-view and they're on uh, uh, the internet. Uh, it's called power with a couple R's at the end NWA. And, um, they do the old school studio stuff. So he was asking me a little bit about that. And I said, you don't understand, uh, Jarrett. Jarrett's the name of my son. I said, you don't understand, Jarrett. When I was a kid, that belt was the belt. I mean, you know, when when, yeah. when that champion, whether it was Harley Race or Terry Funk or, or Dusty Rhodes or Ric Flair came to your or, – or would have been Ted DiBiase yeah. maybe come to your town – uh, that was yeah. that was an attraction, and that was considered the world heavyweight title, not not WWE title, not the AWA title, it was NWA title. I said they even raised prices a dollar uh, by a dollar, championship prices in effect, so they could pay the world champion. But uh, uh, you know, well, and you're and you're right, you're absolutely right, Dave, because I mean uh, the NWA world champion was probably more recognized uh, than any. I mean, because the WWF world champion was the WWF. It was the terror. He was, he was really just, that was, you know, they just called it the world title, but it was, he didn't go anywhere else and defend that belt except the East, East coast. Sure. Vern Gagne, Vern Gagne was a world champion in his territory and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> but the NWA champion went to California, went to Oregon, went to Florida, went to Texas, you know, went to, went to, uh, covered a lot of States and foreign countries right. as a world champion. So he was probably the NWA world champion was more recognized is what I would say than any other world champion. Yeah. I've told this story so. before and you might get a kick out of it. Um, when my dad used to take me to the matches as a kid, the world champion was Harley race. And my dad wasn't really a wrestling fan, but he would watch Harley. He just thought Harley, you know, cause Harley was legit tough anyway, as we come to find out, yeah. but he just saw that he, the way he presented himself was, uh, was, was impressive. So out of all the things I had ever done in the business, the most, the only thing, not the only thing, but the biggest thing my dad ever popped for, you know, not riding with Rick Flair and Arn Anderson and not walking down the red carpet at man's Chinese theater for the ready to rumble or none of that, you know, number one rated, uh, uh, TV show in the country on cable. He 
thought it was super cool that I got invited three times, I think, whenever we were in Kansas City to Harley's house. He always would invite everybody over for a barbecue. And, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That, and that was what my dad thought was the coolest thing because he, he grew up. And <laughs> even to somebody who yeah. would bring Time Magazine and sit at ringside while I watched the matches and was enamored, he would read Time Magazine. He would lift his head up and stop reading when Harley came out. And to him, Harley was yeah. the world champion. So, uh, yeah. hey, Ted, thanks so much for your time. Great stuff. Um, uh, I knew it would be. Uh, I'd, I'd love to keep you and talk to you for another hour, but I, that wouldn't be fair to you. And uh, have, I, I, I've got to know your kids a little bit. Your boys are great, great people. So please tell them I said hello. And you guys, your family, a, a wonderful Christmas and happy new year to your family. And I thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, David, to you and yours as well. Uh, uh, Merry Christmas and a prosperous new year. That's the way the million dollar man say it, especially a prosperous new year. <laughs> <laughs> want to thank Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, for sitting ringside. And uh, some of those stories I had never heard before. Uh, and, and I really loved uh, uh, that podcast. So I hope you do, too. And if you do, uh, like we said, spread the word and uh, tell some uh, friends and, and fellow fans. Uh, great stuff. And uh, I know you, Ted's on Twitter, so I don't know his exact handle. But I know you can follow him on Twitter. I'm sure he's easy to find. And uh, one of the nicest guys in the whole world. Uh, what you see is what you get. Uh, and uh, it's not always like that in this business. So uh, I knew he would be great, and uh, it was even better than than I thought it would be. So we hope you enjoyed that as a little Christmas present, the end of 2019. On we go to 2020. Once again, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank everybody who listens to this show. I want to thank everybody who uh, participates with me on Twitter, going back and forth on different stuff. Uh, a lot of times on Wednesday nights, a lot of times during the weekend. And um want to thank the team at Radio Influence for continuing to make me look a lot better than I am. And I uh, want to thank my family. And uh, again, just want to thank you guys. Uh, uh, we wouldn't be doing this if, if people didn't want to hear it. And uh, we are going to be working hard, uh, harder than ever, to get quality guests uh, as this uh, wrestling war heats up. Uh, last week, uh, you got WWE with no commercials, NXT with no commercials. And then, you know, uh, I told you guys, if you, one thing that, 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 that you should always remember, Vince and Hunter hate losing, even by 10,000 viewers. So, uh, it's, this thing ain't going nowhere and we'll continue to follow it this Wednesday night war into 2020 WrestleMania coming to Tampa where I live. So that should be interesting. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to go out, maybe uh, hit access and get some uh, sound bites from some of the guys and gals. And um, and uh, looking forward to uh, to maybe doing some stuff, uh, uh, some fan stuff, too, for our CWF Fan Fest. So be on the lookout for that if you're a fan of that. And, uh, again, have a great 2019, a wonderful new year. Thank you so much, and I uh, look forward to seeing you again in 2020. Until then, I'm David Penzer, still sitting ringside. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy. 
Radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans. Experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry. Pro wrestling personality David Penzer. MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan. And strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crushell. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com. 